We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Before we get into today's episode, I want to take a moment to talk to you about one of our sponsors, Indochino. As I mentioned before, I have trouble finding clothing that fits. Indochino has a solution. Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand. They make suits, shirts, coats, and more, and everything is made to your exact measurements for a great fit. You get to personalize all of the details, including your lapel, lining. You can add your own monograms. Indochino's process is simple. You choose your fabric, you pick your customizations, and submit your measurements. A package is delivered straight to your door in two weeks. Right now, you can get 30% off your total purchase of $399 or more at Indochino.com when entering Blue Wire at checkout. Shipping is free, which is always a nice, nice bonus. So that's Indochino.com, promo code Blue Wire for 30% off your total purchase of $399 or more. That's an incredible deal for made-to-measure clothing. You really have no excuse anymore to wear clothing that doesn't fit. One of the things that helps me with zero running back is to think of it as sort of a humility-based strategy. I look at the players and I have very strong opinions and I feel very comfortable in my rankings and in my projections. But then at the same time, I know that, that those projections are, are not going to come true. You are listening to Fantasyland, the podcast that covers everything you didn't know you wanted to know about fantasy sports. I'm your host, Peter Overzet, and on this episode, we are going to switch things up a bit and cover something you do probably want to know about, and that's how to win your league. When I first stumbled across Sean Siegel's article about zero running back, Sean is who you just heard at the top of this episode, 
I was both skeptical and intrigued. Some of my earliest memories as a football fan are watching Terrell Davis pile up 2,000-yard rushing seasons for my hometown Denver Broncos on their way to their second Super Bowl. I'm pretty sure I could even fill a journal with the number of times my football-loving grandpa reminded me, you gotta run the football to win the game. When I started playing fantasy football a few years later, I couldn't get the image of all those mile-high salutes out of my head. I had to get the next Terrell Davis on my team. So for years, I loaded up on RBs early and often in my drafts. Just like so many other fantasy gamers who came to love football in an era where RBs were king. The problem for me was I apparently sucked at identifying who the next Terrell Davis was going to be. And so season after season piled up with me burning early picks on running backs who either flat out busted, I'm looking at you, Monty Ball, or who got hurt. What's up, Joseph Adai? Which is why discovering Sean's article about fading running backs in the early rounds immediately spoke to me, even if the title Zero RB sounded ridiculous. I mean, almost every league requires you to start multiple running backs. So how could that possibly be a viable strategy, right? Well, the idea is to put together a strategy for points per reception leagues where you can have overwhelming firepower at the wide receiver position and at the same time not be overly invested in running backs. But very clearly, you're not going to actually take absolutely no running backs throughout the course of your entire draft. But the idea is to not take any during the high value rounds or the rounds where you're hoping to get players where you can project both with some degree of assurance and are going to be high scoring players. And even if you do happen to be familiar with zero RB, you probably have some strong opinions about it. You're either a zero RB zealot like myself who can't stop employing it in nearly every draft, or you're a non-believer and someone who believes in the importance of drafting running backs in the early rounds. By this point, though, Sean is used to all the skepticism surrounding zero RB. I was in this high stakes draft and I hadn't picked a running back. It was a 14 team league and, you know, it was like the eighth or ninth round. So we're, you know, outside the top 100 players. And, you know, this guy who had selected Trent Richardson and Maurice Jones Drew in the first two rounds started, you know, giving me a hard time and offering me, you know, this side bet for a huge amount of money saying, you know, he would give me two to one odds and the rest of the people you know, started joining in and saying, oh, even even at that, it's a no-brainer, et cetera, et cetera. And it's easy when a certain thing breaks in your favor, you know, to in retrospect go back and, you know, kind of look at that humorously. Because obviously when when you're looking at back, it's it's funny that someone who started a league with Trent Richardson and Maurice Jones Drew thinks that they've got this dominant team. And someone who, you know, started with Calvin Johnson and Jimmy Graham is going to get crushed. And again, it's, it's not that Trent Richardson was guaranteed to be bad. I mean, he was someone that year was really high on my board. But the reason I, I don't take running backs is because I don't think that you can trust those, those projections at that position. That zero RB team Sean just referred to? Well, spoiler alert. It was part of a portfolio of teams that won Sean $250,000 in 2013. And apparently it could have been a lot more if he took the side action. Throughout this episode, you're going to hear why everything you've been told about stud running backs winning fantasy leagues is wrong. And the people who are going to tell you that include Sean, who's a writer for Rotoviz, a former lead writer for Pro Football Focus Fantasy, 
and a high-stakes fantasy football champion. We're also going to hear from another high-stakes fantasy player, a scout who advises NFL teams, and an analytics expert from ESPN. That analytics expert is Brian Burke, who works for ESPN's Stats and Information Group and is also the founder of the website Advanced Football Analytics. In the past, Brian has used his background in analytics to write about how underdogs in the NFL can maximize their chances for success by pursuing high-variant strategies. Some people like to call this a David and Goliath strategy. But Burke told us that the idea also relates to fantasy leagues in a way that might not be obvious. Everybody's the underdog, right? And so we talked about how high variance benefits the underdog, low variance benefits the the favorite. So when you're a one in 10 underdog uh, in a league, you want variance. Bring me all the variance I can get. Sean agrees with Burke about maximizing upside. One of the the parts that goes along with the zero running back approach that really is important, I think, is this idea of what I like to call contingency-based drafting, where you're trying to build in as much flexibility and as many options as you can while also building in as much upside as possible. And so then as the season starts to roll along and, you know, you have, it doesn't have to just be injuries. It can be depth chart changes, you know, breakout players. You know, you could almost look at it in the same light as, you know, trying to convince someone to shoot more three pointers in basketball. The overall, you know, individual success rate of those shots, if you look at it purely in terms of make versus miss, is going to be lower. But the points that you're scoring, you know, are going to be a lot better. You know, fantasy football, it comes down to scoring points. If you're like me, you're probably used to drafting a fantasy team that you are convinced is going to win the championship, and then you slowly watch your dreams get crushed over the course of the year as injuries pile up. Sure, you can try to work the waiver wire to plug holes, but it feels like your team will never be as good as it was on draft night. But Sean says it doesn't have to be that way, and you can actually draft in a way that sets your team up to get better as the season goes along. This is where the idea of anti-fragility comes into play. Anti-fragility is basically just what it sounds like. It's the opposite of being fragile. And the term was coined by former Wall Street trader Nassim Taleb, who made his money profiting from turmoil in the stock market. In the same way Taleb realized that the market turmoil is a reality and you're better off profiting from it, Sean realized that injuries and uncertainty at the running back position are a reality, and not only can you protect yourself against the chaos, you can actually profit from it. I was reading about that concept of you know comparing the fragile versus the robust or resilient versus the anti-fragile. And it, it just became very clear that, you know, that's to a certain extent what is happening with these year running back teams. They're not fragile, which, you know, is overwhelmingly positive. But very importantly, they're also not, you know, robust or resilient in the, the way that you assume, okay, I, I need these, these high volume players, these big scoring performers, and then I'm going to build my team around that. But then I know that there are going to be problems, so I need to have their handcuffs, and I need to have more options behind them in case the handcuff doesn't perform, or it's a different guy. Or I also, because of starting with running backs, then my receivers are so weak that I also need more running backs in the flex position. As a result of that, you end up trying to build in so much resiliency to your team at the running back position that the overall team is just not very deep or is not built to have a lot of upside that can be unlocked as the season goes along. Whereas zero running back is completely different. And 
you have this one element of the team that's overwhelmingly strong in the most important areas, but then it also allows you to deal with this other area, the running back position. When you're talking about zero running back, you can't just completely tank those spots for the entire year. So you need to have a roster that's built such that as all of this stuff happens, your team, not only does it not struggle with all the chaos and the injuries, but that it gets better. So when Sean references anti-fragility in the context of fantasy football, he's basically just saying that zero running back allowed you to benefit from randomness as opposed to being a victim of it. When a starting running back gets hurt, your lineup can get better in two ways. It gets better because your opponent's player is hurt and yours isn't, and it also gets better because you either drafted the backup to the injured running back or you are able to acquire the backup off of your waiver wire. It's a fairly intuitive concept, but it also comes with the added bonus of getting to sound really smart when you say it out loud. Hey Pete, how's it going? Oh, you know, just taking advantage of the chaotic nature of the running back position by employing an anti-fragile fantasy football drafting strategy. And, and for full effect, I recommend wearing a blazer and sipping a nice Malbec while delivering that line. Later in the show, we will tell you more about Sean's unreal 2013 season and how he won $250,000 in high stakes leagues. But before we do that, let's talk a little bit about how the current NFL landscape makes zero RB a particularly effective fantasy football strategy. Things looked a lot different in the NFL in 2006. At that time, eight of the top 10 flex scorers in points per reception fantasy leagues were running backs. If you got a player like LaDainian Tomlinson, Steven Jackson, or Larry Johnson, it almost didn't matter who else you had in your lineup because those guys were even outscoring the quarterbacks. I mean, Tomlinson averaged 30 points a game that season, which is absolutely insane. But since then, the league has morphed into a passing league. Burke says this trend toward passing has been in motion for a long time. At least since the 70s, since the 1978 passing rule changes, the league isn't fully caught up with you know where the optima points are for, for pass and run and those kind of basic game theory kind of considerations. There may have been a day in the, in the 70s you know, when the running game really was preeminent, but those days are long gone. But the coaches of today learned their football back then, or at least they learned their football from guys who learned their football back then. So there's still those kind of precepts in in their minds. So even if running the football isn't optimal on the whole, we know there are still a handful of transcendent running backs who might make running the football valuable to a team. I'm sure somewhere Jerry Jones is nodding his head while staring at a photo of Ezekiel Elliott in a crop top. But that begs the question, How do we know which running backs are actually good and which are just benefiting from their environment? If something correlates with a player from year to year to year, then that can be thought of as a skill rather than something like luck or something attributable exogenously, something outside the player. For example, the offensive line, the opponents, things like that. So if you have an Eric Dickerson who year in, year out, year in, year out is, you know, his yards per carry are, you know, five plus. Well, yeah, okay. Let's check that box for Eric Dickerson. He's pretty good. Um, If a guy has a, you know, 4.7 one year and then a 3.5 yards per carry the next year, well, maybe 
it was the opponents he faced or situations he was in or random luck uh, or some other factors. It's not necessarily his talent. So yeah, when we look at correlation year to year to year correlations in things like yards per carry uh, for running backs or even more advanced measures, the correlations are very, very low. Running effectiveness is more or less a product of the offensive line and the running back's talent and ability is, is secondary. The Cowboys offensive line from the early 90s could probably open up a hole for me to run through. But then once you get past the second level, you know, or first and a half level, let's say, now it's up to the running back's kind of burst of speed, agility to kind of go, you know, take, take it the extra, you know, 40 yards. But the running back talent is very instinctive. Uh, I think the talent curve is relatively flat. It's not a very cognitive thing. It's a very physical thing. So it's very measurable and predictable. So as long as the offensive line doesn't go down along with Le'Veon Bell or or Jamal Charles, uh, then the team should still be in good shape. Another analyst who has been observing similar trends in the NFL is Pro Football Focus's senior analyst, Steve Palazzolo. Steve says that running back talent isn't the most important factor when it comes to having a successful running game. The overriding thing the last couple of years is scheme has really helped the running attack because spread offenses really put a lot of stress on the defense. Uh, former PFFer Mike Clay, who's now on to ESPN, I think he did a fantastic job of taking our data and saying, look, when you run against nickel defenses, when you run against dime defenses, uh, you know, your yards per carry are a lot higher. So I do think a lot of it is scheme based. The fact that teams can now spread to run. I think teams are getting better in the run game at simply saying, look, we can spread you out to run or we can run concepts that take advantage of weaknesses in your defense. Just getting smarter at saying, oh, you, you only have five in the box. We're going to run the ball and, and just get a quick check to that. You have six or seven in the box. OK, well, maybe we'll pass the ball. So I think a lot of it is scheme based, is spread based. And then I think you can't hide, say, average to subpar running back talent and still get pretty good production out of them. As all of this data mounts up, the takeaway becomes fairly obvious, like flashing neon red light obvious. Teams should be passing way, way more than they currently do. On average, passes have a positive expected value, and in the NFL, runs have a negative expected value, which tells you, according to game theory, that teams are running too often, especially on first down, especially on the early downs. That flips a little bit on the goal line and in in the red zone, but for the most part, predominantly, teams should be passing far more frequently. In a perfect football world right now, teams would very rarely run in the NFL. They would pass almost all the time. The run play would almost be kind of a specialty play, not a, not quite a trick play, but it would be a, a change up. You know, just like in, in baseball, you got your, your fastball, your curveball. Then every now and then you throw the change up. And that's what the run should really be. Very few teams have a higher expected value in their runs than they do their passes. And that's only because they're just so god-awful in the passing game. Steve doesn't see the passing slowing down anytime soon. The NFL has made it so much easier to pass, so favorable to passing attacks. There may be a couple of teams that get into this, you know, downhill type of running game. But I still think over time it's going to be a pass-happy league because they've still just made it with the illegal contact rules, with everything that they've added. Uh, still just such a, a favorable game for the passing attack. So I do think we'll see uh, you know, more passing yards than ever, more attempts than ever, and uh, just a more wide-open game as, as we move into the future. 
We are going to take a quick break, and when we return, we'll take a close look at how to use the zero running back draft strategy to win your league. So before we get into the third quarter, I want to let you know about our buddies over at Roman. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. We usually we just brush it off or blame it on something else, like I, I just lost my mojo. But with Roman, it's easy to talk about it. with a real doctor who can prescribe real medication. It's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all in the comfort, comfort and privacy of your own home. The doctor will work with you to find the best treatment plan if medication is appropriate. Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping the whole process is simple and straightforward and of course discreet getting started is simple just go to getroman.com slash blue wire and complete your online visit once again that is roman.com forward slash blue wire for a free visit to get started once again roman.com slash blue wire also one of our partners here is harry's razors and of course most people don't enjoy shaving some people do enjoy it i am not one of those people but humans have been shaving for thousands of years and the secret to a great shave hasn't changed much and that's why harry's doesn't overcharge you for gimmicky features to their razors they focus on delivering what actually matters sharp durable blades at a fair price which means you get incredibly high quality vouchers at factory prices harry's is super convenient and those blade refills are delivered directly to your door on schedule with or without a subscription Listeners of Rotoviz as well can redeem their Harry's trial set now at harrys.com forward slash blue wire. With that, you'll get an ergonomic weighted handle for a firm grip, a five blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel with aloe to help keep that skin hydrated, and a travel blade cover to keep your blade dry and easy to grab on the go. Once again, that is harrys.com forward slash blue wire to redeem that trial set. Once again, harrys.com forward slash blue wire. Okay, I know what you're thinking. We still haven't convinced you that zero running back is a thing you can actually do with success. It sounds sexy on paper, but what does this actually look like in practice? Well, you don't have to just take my word for it. Take, for instance, Brian Owens, a veteran high-stakes player who won big money in 2015 by leaning heavily on zero RB in his leagues. I've been playing high-stakes fantasy football for approximately 10 years over that time, I've expanded. So right now, I'm in all the major contests or formats that are out in Vegas. So I have a good you know, diversity of all these types of leagues. Some of them score differently, but the consistency is it's the best players all the way across the board. I'm ranked number 15th overall based on the Global Players Index from last year. 2015 was actually one of my best years that I've had. You know, you're talking $90,000, $100,000 that was all from those big leagues. Owens reminds us that the league-winning running backs are rarely who we think they are going to be. Look at the number one running back last year in fantasy and in all PPR, Devontae Freeman. Well, in some of the biggest leagues I was in, he wasn't even the first back drafted from Atlanta. So when you get a guy that's, you know, 11th, 12th round pick, and now he's the number one player, then somebody who took those receivers or tight ends just won because that's the kind of stuff that you find wins these types of leagues. You know, you look at the four top running backs, Adrian Peterson is the only one on that list that you would expect to be there. You know, Peterson probably went late first, maybe sometime in the second. You look at him, he was the number two running back last year, you know, with 252 points roughly. But take a receiver like Demarius Thomas, who 
did not what you would consider have one of his best years. But Demarius Thomas had 249 points, and AP, who was the number two pick, had 252 points. So it just shows you, you need kind of that 180, 200 points for your starter. And it's a lot easier to get that from a receiver than it is to get that from a running back. I know at this point, actually executing the zero RB strategy might still seem daunting. Sure, it works for high stakes pros like Owens and Siegel, but can this actually work for me in regular leagues with friends or coworkers? From my experience, it's more than doable. It just takes a little leap of faith in trusting the logic behind the strategy. It's almost like hitting on 16 at the blackjack table when the dealer is showing a face card. Every bone in your body is screaming that you are going to bust if you take a hit, but you have to trust that it's the right move. To show just how easy it is to pull off, let's walk through step-by-step how you can successfully execute zero RB. One of the questions people often ask about zero RB is whether it works in both standard and points per reception leagues. And I realize this is getting a little bit in the weeds, but I think it's important. PPR certainly amplifies the power of zero RB as all of your early round wide receiver picks are accumulating additional points for each one of their receptions. But that's not to say it doesn't work in standard leagues. In 2015, only one of the top 10 players in PPR flex scoring came from the running back position. And in standard leagues, six of the top 10 scoring spots in 2015 were wide receivers. So it's not quite as drastic as PPR, but it's still significant. But regardless of your league settings, what zero RB is really about is loading up on these elite pass catchers and lots of them. My goal for any zero running back team is to try and have six of the top 15 wide receivers. Now, what your goals are and what you can actually accomplish are not exactly the same thing. Although, you know, the year that that I was lucky enough to win the NFFC with a Jamal Charles team, I actually had a team during the regular season for that format that finished third overall, and it had six of the top 13 receivers. And so when you put together those kinds of teams, you know, obviously your results are going to be pretty good regardless of what else happens. But so you look at wide receiver one, wide receiver two, wide receiver three, and the flex spot. And those are all equally important starting spots. And you want to put big time receivers in every single one of them. We think of it as being sort of a humility-based approach and we know that we're going to be wrong or we know we're going to get unlucky. Then you're thinking, okay, well, maybe best case scenario or close to the best case scenario I have one of my first six wide receivers get hurt and another one I just miss on my pick. And then if I do better than that, you know, certainly you have the bye weeks. And if you can put four elite wide receivers out there in your starting lineup during the bye weeks, then you're going to really start to gap your opponents. So there's always kind of this question, where are you going to put all of those players? And that rarely comes into play because having too many players at the position that's the most important, that's just a luxury. It's not a problem, but it's a problem you don't get to that often just because of the way things work out. Now that we've loaded up on wide receivers in the high value rounds, we need to start thinking about which running backs we want to target. For some zero RB practitioners, that might mean drafting a specific running back target as early as the fifth round. But as Sean has said, it can also work to not take a running back at all in the top 100 picks of the draft. For me, I almost draft them begrudgingly. 
Once you've been bitten by the zero RB bug, you almost resent having to take them at all. But I promise you, it's a lot less pressure taking a running back in round eight or nine than it is in round one or two. You can almost feel the burden of worrying about injuries and bus rates disappearing. If one of your late round running backs bus, who cares? It was a late pick. It's when your first round pick tears his ACL and is out for the season that you want to punch a hole in a wall and quit fantasy football forever. All that said, we still need to hit on some running backs late in our draft to capitalize on our wide receiver heavy squads. According to Owens, one way to do this is to find running backs who are undervalued. What I've come to learn in these types of leagues is when someone gets down on a player, that's really what gives you the opportunity to buy when nobody else wants. So it's, it's almost like the stock market to some extent. Another way to find running backs for your zero RB teams late in the draft is by targeting running backs who catch a lot of passes. We heard earlier from Palazzolo and Burke about how the league has become so pass-heavy, and Steve says a byproduct of that trend is running backs being asked to catch balls out of the backfield more and more. Running backs have to be able to catch the ball, or a number of running backs have to be able to catch the ball, and the ability to catch the ball and do something with it in space is at a premium and and more valuable than ever because this quote-unquote passing league, every single year we see more passing, and I think you just see a lot more a lot more running backs that have to be able to play in space play in a spread type of system um, I think it's a more simplified running game and you know it's just a it's a lot of there, there are a lot of changes as far as getting more versatile skill sets on the field guys that can line up out wide I think that's a, a huge factor strategically in the NFL so I think we've just seen the NFL get away from more of those downhill pounding running backs because the game is spread out so much but i think having guys like vereen woodhead Dion lewis any of these guys that can line up all over the place i think they just give such an advantage because i think madden kind of uh led us astray when we saw five wide receivers in madden they would always put five wide receivers out there and uh the nfl rarely does that there's very rarely five wide receivers actually on the field when they go empty it's a tight end and there's a running back and three wide receivers most commonly so when you have guys like Woodhead and uh, Riddick and guys that can line up all over the place I don't think you're tipping your hand there because all you see is that they come into the huddle and they can line up with you know a traditional single back type of set or they can line those guys up in the slot or out wide and create matchup problems so I think there's just a different way of of deploying resources when you have a guy that can run the ball and that, a guy that can run routes like a receiver and catch the ball. Burke agrees with Steve on the importance of pass-catching running backs for both real football and fantasy football purposes. When when you catch a pass out of the backfield, you're all automatically kind of in the second level, third level of the defense. And so you get, you've got uh, some open space to maneuver and then running back talent can take over at that point. So if I were, you know, making recommendations to fantasy players, I, w- I would look for those those players that are behind effective offensive lines and uh, who also have uh, ability to catch the ball and run. You know, they're they're the high variance guys, so they're they're much more likely to go, you know, go the distance on a on a pass, let's say, out of the backfield, than you know, from four or five yards behind their offensive line. I mean, do you want your running back to have the ball behind? 12 guys pushing each other around, you know, in a wall at the line of scrimmage. 
Or would you rather, you know, throw it to him where he's maybe there's one one or two linebackers within five yards of him and then a couple safeties in between him and the end zone? Like, I'll take uh, running back in the open for 200, Alex. Zero RB isn't for the faint of heart. To pull it off, you have to be willing to work the waiver wire to snag the backup running backs who could or have recently inherited a big workload. It can really make you feel crazy at times, especially when you find yourself setting an alarm for 5 a.m. on a Thursday morning just so you can know if your waiver claim for D'Angelo Williams was successful. Let's just say you'll probably never see any of the running backs that Owens rostered last year on the cover of Sports Illustrated. So when I got to the final weeks of the season, I'm talking about starting players like James White, Carlos Williams, Buck Allen, and even Jonathan Stewart, who again, people have kind of kicked to the curb for years. But if you were able to get his backup, then you at least had that comfort to know if he goes down, I can still be you know, successful with this strategy. Even though a lot of the reasoning behind zero RB has to do with running backs getting injured frequently, that doesn't mean you are rooting for injuries. You know, some people object to the idea of benefiting from the injuries, and I can certainly understand that. I mean, these are these are real people with real lives, and when they're hurt, then it has, you know, a very negative impact for them and, and just for their life. And so, you know, I, I work really hard to make sure I'm never rooting for anyone to get hurt. Structurally, you know people are going to get hurt. You know, you have all of these situations every year where there's an opportunity for a running back to explode, have a great season, and, you know, a very upbeat kind of perspective to show what they can do. And so I think, you know, that's, that would be kind of the, the positive flip side to this concern about rooting for injuries is that the injuries are going to happen. You know, sometimes as a result, we get to see marvelous performances from backups we wouldn't have gotten to see perform. And so if you have a variety of ways to take advantage of that, you know, your rosters are going to benefit. But then, you know, focusing too much on the injuries themselves also kind of gets you away from the main idea, which is that you can have people emerge for other reasons. Regardless of how you hit on one of your late round running back targets, let me just tell you, when you do, it feels so, so good. Last year, I won a league where my two starting running backs in the championship week were Bilal Powell and Tim Hightower. Go ahead. If you need to Google them, I'll wait. I had grabbed both of them off waivers during the season, and both turned into league-winning running backs for different reasons. Powell, because his role in the pass game just kept growing and growing throughout the season, and Hightower, because Mark Ingram got injured in front of him. In that championship week, Tim Hightower, who you just learned via Google, is a 30-year-old journeyman running back, rushed 27 times for 130 yards in two TDs. If winning a championship with Jamal Charles or Arian Foster feels great, winning one with Tim Hightower feels like mainlining an illegal drug. When you're talking to Sean, it quickly becomes apparent that the way he plays fantasy football is not the way your friends play. You know, the ones who are a six-pack deep by the fifth round of the draft and end up accidentally drafting Steven Goskowski in the seventh round after timing out? I mean, I'm used to playing with guys who are more interested in naming their team something like two Mannings, one cup, 
or Mike Vick in a box. And here is Sean talking to us about reading Nassim Taleb and winning $250,000. So how does someone like Sean end up as a fantasy writer and a high-stakes player? Well, Sean also has a background in playing and coaching college tennis, which has informed how he approaches analyzing sports. But if you really want to trace Sean's acumen for game theory to its roots, you have to go all the way back to when he was a kid. My brother and I, we grew up playing all the sports against each other. And then at the same time, for whatever reason, we also loved playing all different kinds of, of other games as well. So, you know, you have all of these German, you know, board games. You know, some of the games have spatial elements. Some of the games have auction elements. Some of the games have, you know, very heavily probability-based elements. Um, and, you, and some of them have all of those elements. So you have to balance the different kinds of things. And the participating in all of that and enjoying all of that does help. And it makes you interested in how, you know, you might try and look and find the way different games or contests, you know, how you might be able to exploit certain elements of them and at least prime you to look. So if you take a background in sports and a background in game playing and a background in reading just widely, you know, whatever takes your interest, I think it puts you in a mindset where you're interested in, in the way things work. And I think that being interested is important. One thing we should mention is that even though Sean coined the term zero RB, obviously a fantasy article written in 2013 can't be the first time anyone has suggested that it's possible to start a draft by doing something other than taking running backs. It's something Sean is also quick to acknowledge. I believe it was in 2008, if I'm getting the years correct, that Tom Yates won the NFSC Classic, which is a 14-team format, you know, arguably the most difficult game that's out there. And he won by taking four consecutive wide receivers to start. And so then, you know, I was looking at that and following what had happened and just looking at the ADPs that started to pop up for the following season and nothing changed. You know, you've got this situation where you've got this huge inefficiency in the way players are being drafted and no one is taking advantage of it or at least in terms of the way the entire draft is playing out, you know, people in general are not taking advantage of it. And so at that point, I decided to, to play and, and see what happened. You know how we said a few times that Sean won $250,000 using zero RB? Well, that doesn't quite tell the whole story. My brother and I, who was my co-owner, we had all of these incredible teams. I believe we had seven teams make the postseason in either the Classic or the Primetime, the two main NFC formats. And five of those teams were zero running back teams. And they were the five best of the seven teams. And then the first week of the postseason, they had the snowstorm in Philadelphia. And the Lions are playing against them. And they don't get the field plowed. And even at halftime, they don't really do anything to fix the field. And so Calvin Johnson basically doesn't score. And all of those your running back teams are out. After the blizzard wiped out all of Sean's zero RB teams, it was up to Jamal Charles to do the heavy lifting. We're watching the Chiefs game that afternoon, and you know he scores his fourth touchdown, and you're watching the game, and you're, you're kind of you know, doing the points in your head and, and thinking, okay, well, you know, that wasn't our best team, but maybe, maybe this team can do it. And then he scores his fifth touchdown, and I'm looking over, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, we, we might be in the lead. And, and when we looked up the, the stats later, we had a team in first at the end of, of that weekend. And then the second Jamal Charles team was in third. 
it was it was a stressful week going into the final week because when you've got two of the top three, that's that's about the best scenario you're going to ever have to maybe take down a grand prize in in one of these events. So the team that actually hauled in the biggest prize for Sean and his brother, the hundred and fifty thousand, that wasn't even a zero RB team. Incredible. It's almost too perfect that they had a contingency plan for all of their contingency-based zero-RB teams. We mentioned earlier that Sean's article wasn't the first time anyone had suggested that you don't have to start every draft with running backs. Sean's foray into high-stakes leagues was prompted by Tom Yates winning with a wide receiver-heavy team, but other writers have also covered similar strategies in the past. For example, Matt Waldman of Football Guys has a strategy that he calls upside-down drafting, which the winner of the 2011 Football Guys Players Championship credited as being key for taking down that $150,000 prize. That team started the draft with two wide receivers, then two running backs, and then a quarterback. Between the variations of upside-down drafting and the variations of 0RB, there's probably some overlap. In fact, because some people think that drafting wide receiver-heavy teams has always been around, and because some other people think that it's just a clickbait slogan, there's probably some minority of people who think that 0RB is just marketing and isn't actually novel or substantial. I think that there are some aspects of it that are controversial, but... I think that it really does tell people, you know, what, what it means better than some people say. You know, this idea of we're going to take zero running backs during the rounds that matter. You know, that's fairly straightforward. You know, you also get the, the accusations of it being, you know, mostly just marketing or something to that effect. And, and I think that, you know, that can be a positive as well. If you got to the article because someone was, was criticizing it somewhere else and you wanted to check it out because the name stuck, then, you know, that sounds positive. I know we've thrown a lot at you in this episode, especially if you've never heard of Zero RB before. So it probably makes sense to have Sean sum up everything for us. For me, it really is about the connection between the three things of the wide receiver, firepower, the anti-fragile aspect, and then the fact that even sort of besides the anti-fragile aspect, value-based drafting just doesn't work. You know that certain players have a very wide range of outcomes. So you're taking this projection that represents, you know, either an averaging of the outcomes or a median outcome, knowing that that doesn't really represent what the player's value is. And so then if you make a draft board and your draft board is based on that number and then a replacement level, if you draft off of that board, you're not going to win on a percentage basis. If you've never tried zero RB in a draft before, I really recommend giving it a shot. You'll sometimes hear people in fantasy say, every strategy works if you pick the right players. And that's completely true, and also what is so great about zero RB. It takes away the burden of picking all the right players because you go into a draft knowing that it is impossible. And so instead, you approach the draft with a contingency plan that allows you to benefit when things don't go as predicted. And if you're worried about zero RB being less effective as more people learn about it, Brian Owens says the benefits of zero RB aren't going anywhere. As of today, it's definitely the way that I see the best players playing. I don't see that changing. It's so strong compared to other avenues that it's, it's going to remain the, the way to play. But 
I do also believe that it should be fun. You know, when you talk to people who have tried it and are trying it in a league where it fits, in a league where you could play a bunch of wide receivers, a points per reception league, tried zero running back, you know, once you once you do, you just you don't go back. Next time on Fantasyland, an episode all about the rise of daily fantasy sports, featuring some of the biggest names in the industry, including Roto Grinders Dan Bach. The first time I played it, uh, I realized like, uh oh, like I'm hooked. Like this is so much fun. I literally watch sports, read sports, do statistics, and now here's a chance that I can actually make money doing it. And, you know, competing against other individuals, I thought was just really, really neat. Thank you for listening to Fantasyland, the podcast that covers everything you didn't know you wanted to know about fantasy sports. Special thanks to all of our great guests in this episode, Sean Siegel, Brian Burke, Steve Palazzolo, and Brian Owens. Be sure to check the show notes or the episode write-up on rotoviz.com slash fantasyland for more information about our guests, including a link to Sean's series of articles on Zero RB. If you missed our first three episodes, you can find them on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and SoundCloud. Also, please rate and review the show. It helps us find new listeners. Also, thanks to our sponsors, ffdraftprep.com and rotoviz. Be sure to take advantage of their special offers to Fantasyland listeners. You can contact us via email at fantasylandpod at gmail.com. Let us know how your zero RB drafts are going. And follow us on Twitter at fantasylandpod. We'd love to hear from you. Our producers are Matthew Friedman, Fantasy Douche, and Patrick Corain. And I'm your host, Peter Overzet. Peter Overzet.